Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Well, the U21 Euro semifinals kick off today, and we've got you covered right here on the Galazzo Network. Israel taking on England today at 12 p.m. Eastern, Spain and Ukraine at 3 p.m. Uh, we, are, we are in the presence of a guy who has some real-life experience in the U21 Euros and Nigel Rio Coker, who featured for England in 2007. So we're going to have a little story time. Captain with you. A of captain. The team. He also he also referred to himself My as God. Let's do that again. Daddy, Daddy of the locker room. <laughs> I was the Daddy of the dressing room. Okay. Daddy of the dressing room. So to elaborate on what that role entails, because I'm <laughs> intrigued. Just yeah. the Daddy. Yet. I won't <laughs> say anything because <laughs> I don't get in trouble. Look at HR. Oh, see, you were doing the pointing back then. Uh, uh, there you go. So Trevor Brookin, England oh legend. Oh my gosh! You were also the Near first. Senior as a manager now. You were the first captain to, to captain the England team in the great. New Wembley. Oh, I just remember that picture. Yeah, I was. You know what that picture was with Liam Rossi last one. Tell us, please. I missed the penalty against Holland. Oh. And yeah, we you were did. Out of the competi- you like you? Yeah, you did, right? Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of England, research you do for that one. Speaking of England, missing penalties. Oh. Yeah, missing penalties. <laughs> <laughs> Good wow. one. It's better than yours, though, isn't it? It's you just a white star. shirt. Boring. You one star. Where, where it's you... bland like okay. your food. Don't be rude to our guests. <laughs> oh, okay. Now, I mean, that actually was the semi-final, thing. that picture, and we lost to Holland. And that was the tournament when a Drentner, young Drentner, was playing for Holland. And after that tournament, he got his move to Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. The beauty of playing in the European qualifications and also the Euros is you see the next top world-class stars yeah. and I, I was fortunate to play against some of them and some of them I didn't played against one of the Arsenal legends of Robin Van Persie not a, a United legend an Arsenal mm. legend mm. we um, don't co-sign him anymore was supposed to play against um, Rubery before mm. he got his move Frank Rubery and then from then that French team you had Sanya went to Arsenal Gael Clichy um, there's so many talented players that come throughout the tournament and even like it's an urban legend thing so I remember before I came through to play in the qualifications. Everyone's talking about Pelo before Pelo even made it wow. to start playing first team. Football. Also, he, Chiellini, he, yeah. right? I think Chiellini's, was he one of the backgrounds of the, the, one of the pictures there? Was he? Sure. Can we run through Against those? Italy. I'm not too sure. I, even, Is there a I don't even know what he looks like. He's always looked 40 to me. I can't even imagine what he, look at okay, this. Ashley Young, hey, yeah. Oh, so no many word. top players. Milner. Milner. Yeah, he still looks the, the bloody same. same. Still he does not same. look under 21 in that photo. He does not change. So, not He's from Yorkshire. What do you expect? <laughs> they got no son in Yorkshire. Angels wonder. Can I, can I ask a question that I, it might be painful to answer, but I've always, I've always wondered. That's Chiellini in the background. That's in the background. Yeah. That is wow. also a Chiellini. Wow. Forget him in the background. Look at the handsome fella there in the white shirt. I mean... A Dapper, white tee. Always. Stop saying a white tee, bro. It's better than your. It's a white tee, <laughs> so, bro. Not, not to bring up terrible memories, but you said you missed a penalty. 
in that. That is a terrible moment. It's, Thank you. Well, you brought it up first. <laughs> That's me. true, and Susanna. Now I'm, now I'm, I'm piggybacking, but <laughs> I have always said, obviously, I am not a professional player. Never have been. Never even would have come close. But how, like, how often did you think about it? After, were you able to put that to bed pretty quickly? Like, oh, I put it to bed real quick. Okay, good. No, I'm <laughs> it's I'm like, no, it's remarkable. Anytime to be able I to do see that. it happen, I'm yeah. like, I hope that they're not like losing sleep over the, that moment because Penalty, it can happen to anyone. You it know? can happen to anyone. Penalties is about confidence, really. Yeah. And for me, no matter because we practice penalties every single day after training, and then they used to take notes who scored and who didn't. But when you play 90 minutes, when your adrenaline is going through and then you, walk, you take that walk to take a penalty, everything becomes smaller. The goal becomes mm. smaller. Your foot gets heavy. Everything is it not that the loneliest practiced, walk you've ever taken? It is the loneliest walk you ever take. And there's so much mounting on it, especially which penalty you're taking. And it's, sometimes the best thing to do is just try and smash it, but try and stay over the ball. But when you try and pick your spot, and if you don't quite get it right and get the technique right to where you want to place it, or if it's not high enough with enough power, mm -hmm. you're not going to score. When you get that miss, it, it is a lonely walk back and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm the one that let the team down, yeah. And this yeah. was the semi-final, correct? This was the semi-final. And you had picked up a card, so another, another booking, so you wouldn't have made it to the final. <laughs> I don't remember picking up a card. You don't remember picking up a booking? You wouldn't have played the final? I probably did. Yeah, yes. you <laughs> did. Cards did come a lot with The reason career, I was going to ask, not just to throw shade, uh, but part of it was certainly <laughs> that. Um, does that play into how you take that penalty, knowing this might be the lasting memory for you in this tournament? You think I'm going to stitch my station up so I can't play? No, I mean, do you think, no, not mess it up. Do you think that that added extra pressure, being like, I, I need to shine here a little bit? Uh, not really. I think, again, it's an individual mindset. It's just you want to score. That's what it is. You want to score. There was that whole thing about England and penalties, and it still goes on, but you just want to score. But it's just not getting the technique right. You know, it happens to the best of us, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. It's, it's the mental side of it. That's the... the biggest part and when you do miss you can't really dwell on it and my biggest thing was as long as you perform to the highest of your ability in every 90 minutes and you can look at yourself in the mirror that's all the matters. Yeah. let me ask you let me take it away from just the penalties or, or that situation and even away from being captain we've talked a couple of times about what the euro u21s actually mean but I want to hear from a player who played in it. I know that it's like the next step is to potentially get a big move. You mentioned some players that got big moves. How much is that playing into being a member of this squad? Because to play for the senior team, which you also did, kind of gives you the opportunity to be a part of a unit, part of a squad. This one, it feels like it's an opportunity for individuals to shine. Does that maybe sneak into your brain a little bit? Does that change the way the team dynamic is? Not really, no. It's more so about how they form the national side. And we had a great team like uh, it was generally was under Peter Taylor he was the manager then he left and Stuart Pierce took over but under Peter Taylor we had the best bond as under 21s you'd ever imagine because before Peter Taylor um who was it I can't even remember the manager was now it was one of your one of your Arsenal legends oh. was the manager <laughs> how many we have so many um, all of them yeah. I can't remember his name but I played under him and then there was it, there was the divide. There was the big clubs of, oh, we play for Liverpool, we play for Arsenal, and there wasn't really a togetherness. And that does happen at international mm -hmm. level. You've heard Paul Scholes talk about it when he played in England and the divide where the Man U boys would be there and the, the Chelsea Very tribal. Boys yes. But then with us at the 21s, we really got a togetherness. We got in trouble for nights out, which we shouldn't have had on international duty. <laughs> but we had a lot of nights out, so it helped the team bonding. So for us, it wasn't the fact of, oh, he's at that club and he's at that club. We kind of got together to say we're representing England. And we were the change in that young generation. So playing in this tournament, 
you are putting yourself on a big advertising board mm -hmm. because most of these players are already at big clubs. There'll be a few that might be from a championship club or whatever it is that can get that move to a big club. Mm -hmm. But it's a big advertising board to other big clubs around Europe. And it really is a way of, it's a coming of age. What's different with this tournament, the current one is, most of these players are already playing. The quality is uh, The quality at the highest high. level already. At our level, we were maybe getting four or five games. We're still trying to break into that first team. But this tournament, there's an abundance of talent that's already getting first team football experience. So who are the, who are the emerging stars in this well, year's... This, well, it's hard for me to say. Well, yeah. England have got a lot of players playing yeah. Premier League football with great experience. You know, Jacob Ramsey's going to be a big miss for them. I'm a big fan of Jacob Ramsey. I think it's going to be a, a big star. You know, everyone talks about Jack Grealish. Jacob Ramsey's going to be the next one. But for Israel, there's a young lad called Glock. Is it Glock? You got make, make a Glock. joke. Yeah. Make a joke. Glock, I'm not what? saying that, Antonio. Oh, okay. <laughs> Isn't it Glock? Yeah, don't say no. that. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oscar but he's, he's, he's being current, currently monitored by uh, the likes of Manchester City, Arsenal and big clubs. He actually reminds me of a player that I played with, and it is Yossi Ben Ayoum, another oh, Israeli he legend. Ben Ayoum was big, a big baller. Yeah, I played with Yossi, was a great player, and he reminds me of him the style of play, the movement, coming in late in the box. He's probably got a lot more physical presence than Yossi, though, because Yossi was very lightweight, and we had to be his bodyguard. We had to be the daddy for him. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You couldn't mess the with slight Yossi, Mossi. Dressing without room him. daddy had to I'll leave a mark on you if you mess with Yossi. Dressing room he, daddy. He was the, he was the, <laughs> the magician. Glock reminds me of uh, that kind of player. I love that. I would love for him to play for Arsenal. The Gunners, Glock, I mean, it works. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I was going to applaud you on your restraint. <laughs> and then... <laughs> I, it works. What restraint? It does restraint. None. It doesn't exist. I'll tell you the other joke in the commercial break. <laughs> okay. I look forward to that. All right, guys, we're going to take a break. Jenny Chu will be back with the headlines when we return. Don't go anywhere. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Well, welcome back with the U21 Euro semifinals kickoff today right here on the Galazzo Network. We've got Israel facing England at 12 p.m. Eastern, followed up by Spain taking on Ukraine at 3 p.m. So let's chat this Spain-Ukraine match. These two teams met up. Um, it was a 2-2 draw in Group B. Spain, though, unbeaten in this tournament so far. Nigel, they have to be the clear favorites in this matchup, would you say? Spain are definitely the clear favorites. Yeah. You know, but you can never rule out Ukraine, especially one player in particular for me is Mudrik. You know, he was fantastic the last game against France. And when you play France, you're not playing France, the country, you're playing a, a continent. You like that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very yeah, nice. Like that one, eh? They do like the poach. <laughs> he, he was sensational. And it, it goes again about yeah. experience. Oh, this is Mudrik, his assist in yeah, that. Fantastic assist France. by Mudrik. What but, a ball. 
When you with Modric, what do you see? What you saw in this game was you can clearly see he's got first team football. He's got first team football experience. You know, he doesn't look like a young player coming through trying to make into that first team. And he he stood head and shoulders above a lot of people in this game there. And that's what is going to be vital for them to be successful because he is a superstar in their team. But he needs to step up to the plate. It's not going to be easy. Mm -hmm. You know, Spain is always a good nation. They always produce tremendous amount of talent. But the problem with Spain is, for me, they produce too much of the same type all of players. Others, right? <laughs> They're all the same style of players. And if they can be very well organised defensively, know how their style is, Spain will most likely always want to go through you, through the heart of you, play nice, intricate little one-two, one-touch plays. You can block up the spaces and the passing lanes. And you've got Modric, who's got blistering pace. Play that counter-attack. You've got a good chance. As my buddy used to say, France is actually Africa's all-star team because they just poach. Oh, you took the it there. Yeah. Wow. That's, what they, that's what my buddy used he to say. Who's, who's uh, you know, he's, he has the right to say it. We'll just say that. Um, but I agree with you. I think Mikhailo Mudrik did show that he has the quality to be, uh, you know, or is the top player, right? Um, but he also didn't play very well at Chelsea, mysteriously didn't get any minutes in the first few matches for Ukraine. So to see him come in and just shine was absolutely incredible. But I do question what player are we going to see in this next match? Now, yeah, Spain is undefeated in this tournament. They actually haven't lost in 17 matches. Wow. Ukraine haven't lost in five. This is going to be the two, the two teams that I think outside of maybe, maybe England have the most to show. So to see these two teams go up against each other in a game that's going to be basically just two really good teams going against each other, it feels like, you know, Sergio Gomez, another big player, plays for Manchester City, got a lot of talent. I want to see who shows up more, Gomez in a big moment or Mikhailo Mudrik? Mudrik. Mudrik for me would definitely pro up. And I think it just sits up perfectly for them. If they can play counter-attacking football with his pace, because he is very cool, they can catch Spain uh, unaware. And his vision, man, his vision is I think it's incredible. nice to see Mudrik that we thought we'd see at Chelsea. Right. Firing on all pistons for Ukraine, but I do think that Spain will have the edge. Here. What would yeah. be the bigger upset? Israel beating England or uh -oh, Ukraine? What? Sorry, what? Beating Israel, Israel beating England. What'd you be say? The bigger yes. upset. Wait, wait yeah. sorry. I, I just, I said, yeah. what if it upset. happens. <laughs> if it happens. I'm not saying it's happening, oh, Nigel. Just, just checking. I just wanted to see. What's in that <laughs> cup there? Is, is your tea okay? I stole your tequila. Oh, no, I'm having tea. I don't know about you. But this is my team. I think, especially with uh, Israel's keeper, keeper is it? Yeah, suspended for the England match. Yeah, that would be even more dazzling. Let's put it dazzling. Which, dazzling. Let's Good be honest, word, does set up penalties. Right? You just said foreshadows. I love it. First I know. 21 final ever. Yeah. So I just, you got to go right. with the underdog. I'm here. I, for I like it. Israel. Played well. They've got Glock, right. but we have a lot more abundance of talent and experience in that England team. Yeah. An abundance of riches, Never ever if you count will. out the underdog. <laughs> <sighs> Come on, England. Don't call England England's an underdog. Don't you dare. We've got lions on our chest. Listen, all just right. think the chant it's coming home and it's all over. Yeah, that's <laughs> when it doesn't show up home. <laughs> all right, we're going to take another timeout. Uh, Jenny Chu will be back with the headlines when we come back. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.
22, and these are your morning footy headlines. Argentine World Cup winner Angel Di Maria is poised to make his next club move, and unfortunately for MLS fans, it won't be to join Lionel Messi at Inter Miami. According to multiple reports, the Argentine World Cup winner is set to return to Benfica on a free transfer a decade after leaving the Portuguese champions. Di Maria had been linked to a move to Inter Miami to play with close friend Lionel Messi, but a potential deal fell through. In Saudi Arabia, Brazilian forward Roberto Firmino has joined Al Ali on a free transfer, signing a three-year deal. Firmino finished out his contract with Liverpool after eight seasons at Anfield. He joins an Al Hilal side that signed former Chelsea goalkeeper Eduard Mendy and had been linked to Lionel Messi before he chose to play for Inter Miami. We head over to England, where Mason Mount has completed his $76 million transfer from Chelsea to Manchester United. The English midfielder leaves Chelsea after being with the club since the youth levels. The 24-year-old has signed a five-year deal with Manchester United, a deal that will reportedly pay him three times more than Chelsea had offered him, more than $300,000 a week. Hi, Chelsea fans. Given the speculation over the last six months, this may not come as a surprise to you but it doesn't make it any easier to tell you that I've made the decision to leave Chelsea. I feel we deserve more than just a written statement, so I wanted to tell you directly how grateful I've been for all of your support over the last 18 years. I know some of you won't be happy with my decision, but it's what's right for me at this moment in my career. Okay, Christine, <laughs> I see you making some rolling eye motions right here, and I gotta know how you feel about that video. It's very robotic. Yeah, so I totally understand that many players do have managers and agents that will write statements for them to ensure that they don't say anything wild, <laughs> which I fully endorse, quite frankly. But maybe give him a few run-throughs so that he doesn't seem like, I need to talk yeah. to you for a second. So but, however, video. You need to train him. Also, this hasn't been filmed recently because he has blonde hair here. Right. So this was like done. So it's a little like we already preemptively knew that he was doing his apology statement. So like they've had time. They could have rehearsed this. I also have questions about Bro. the photo shoot. That was mind boggling to me. I have no understanding. Is that a redoing a classic Manchester United photo? It has to be. But he's just. Let's ask Anita Jones. Yeah, she should. She might be able to shed some light. Wait, Anita, can we ask her like this? Anita, how are you? You. We just wanted to tell you. <laughs> I needed to ask you um, about the United. You're now talking about the Man United's new number seven. <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed they it. They got to plug him in, charge him up a little bit. Oh, my yeah, gosh. We've got to put some respect on him because um, to take up the number seven, there's going to be a lot of pressure there because, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo wore that shirt. We know the history and what it takes to wear that shirt. So he's coming here at a crucial age in his career and he's got to prove a lot of people wrong, having left Chelsea, not having the best uh, of final seasons with the Blues. Uh, Anita, what did, you, what, did, what did you make of his message to, to Chelsea fans? How do, you, how do you think that will be received from their end? I think it's been a mixed bag. Like, Mason Mount has been Chelsea through and through. As he mentioned in that video, he was with the club from such a young age. We've seen the pictures of him as a little boy. So I think in the build-up to this, there was such a divide. Of course, he was a part of the team that won the Champions League. But then I mentioned that his performances had dropped off in this, this final season that he had with the London-based club. So... In terms of the video, it's pretty much protocol, like Christine was saying. You see a lot of players do this, be it by a statement. He said that he wanted to go a step further because he didn't feel just a statement was enough. 
but he's also been under a lot of criticism this season, this past season, rather. He came off of Twitter because he was getting a lot of abuse. So you can understand why they kind of want to play it safe and deliver a video like this where hopefully they're not under too much criticism. I want to ask a little bit about the fan base that seemingly was very upset. There were a lot of memes coming about it. United's not signing anyone. Arsenal's signing a bunch of players. Chelsea's signing a bunch of players. Uh, and United's not signing anyone. And then you bring in a guy like Mason Mount. Do you think this is enough for the United fan base? What about the squad that United <coughs> is building? Well, this is a huge question, Alexis, because I said to you guys, the word is the, the word of like the summer transfer window is reportedly. So, reportedly, Man United have only got 120 million pounds to spend in this summer transfer window. Now, Mason Mount's deal is around 55 million pounds. So that means they spent nearly half of that on a midfielder. Um, great, he should slot in with the likes of Bruno Fernandes and Casemiro in that midfield quite easily under Eric Ten Hag's system. But you'd think, given the news that has come from Man United recently, a goalkeeper is of the utmost priority for them. Uh, talks broke down with David De Gea. It looked like he was going to get a new deal, which was a lot more reduced in terms of his salary because he was one of the highest paid players, if not the highest paid player in the squad there. And then glaringly obvious to most people is that they need a number nine. Uh, while the course didn't really fulfil that, that role there during last season, we know that Marcus Rashford can play up front, but that's not the ideal for, for them. So they still need at least two more players to come in and they haven't sold anyone. So there's this huge, huge um, question when it comes to what do they do next for the remainder of the transfer window. Uh, Anita, I want to chat next about Declan Rice because yes. it seems like I, Alexis is <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm hungry, Anita. Anita, you want to eat some arroz? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take it. But Alexis, I thought you were going to give me, you know, rice, rice, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do the running man. <laughs> that was fire, Anita. I love it. Um, so it's, it seems like this this deal is very, very close to being finalized. Uh, what's the latest? What can you tell us? So David Ornstein, um, uh, chief reporter for The Athletics, uh, I think tweeted yesterday or this morning, forgive me, I can't remember, that it looks like they finally got the deal done. The issue, I guess, that was holding things up until now was the structure of payment. Jenny just mentioned that Declan Rice is about to become the most expensive English player, surpassing Jack Grealish last year, who was sold to Manchester City for 100 million. It looks like this deal will be 105 million, so 100 million and then 5 million in add-ons. Um, a lot of pressure for this young man, but as you can see in that image on the screen, he's used to the pressure. He's worn the armband for West Ham. He helped them win their first trophy in 40 years, over 40 years, when they won the Europa Conference League just um, last month. So. I think he's up for the challenge. It'll be really exciting to see how he slots into to that midfield. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but reports have been suggested that uh, Granit Xhaka is going to be leaving uh, Arsenal this summer, going to Bayer Leverkusen. So that is a space that he'd be filling in almost immediately. So um, it'll be interesting to see what he does and really exciting because this is a young Arsenal squad that looks fresh and um, Declan Rice is used to pressure and they're going to need to handle that pressure, something that, I don't think they did so well toward the latter end of last season. Mm. That's true. Mm -hmm. It is true. Um, hey, Anita, are you cool to stick around? We're going to chat some Women's World Cup with you after a break. 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, Anita's going to be heading to Australia to cover Panama, which is very cool. And uh, we're going to dive into Group C when we come back. Stick around. We'll be right back. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back. Well, we are just over a couple weeks away from the Women's World Cup. We've been previewing the different groups, and today we dive into Group C. Here are the teams and the betting odds for who will win Spain. The big favorite in this one, followed by Japan. And this is interesting, Zambia, who will be playing in their first World Cup ahead of Costa Rica. Do we agree? I would have flipped betting those. Odds, I would have flipped those. That would have been my initial take. You can't count them out. Right? Yeah. Maybe there's a, you know, the vibe is it's their first World Cup. They're going to be the feel-good story. I hope. I, I mean, mean, but that it, would it's be Costa Rica's second. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, maybe that's why Zambia, Zambia's got a... Uh... Got the I mentioned edge. that we talked about Group B, but I find that, you know, in tournaments like this, if you don't have any experience in the World Cup specifically, you tend to need that. You're about to get tournament. some. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think the team that hasn't, hasn't yeah. ever been in this kind of tournament, I put them at the end. Not any personal reason, just like you need that experience of like how to manage that tournament. Yeah, it's big games need uh, experience. I feel like that exactly. is definitely um, a value in these situations. And for more on the World Cup, we welcome back in Anita Jones. Hey. Anita, great to great of you to stick with us. Um, Spain, as we saw, the clear favorites in Group C, but there's been some turmoil behind the scenes. Some of their big players have actually withdrawn their name from the roster. They uh, and it has to do with with the head coach. Um, can you kind of elaborate on that situation and why they've gotten to this point? Yeah, big drama for La Roja, as they're called. So to really unpick it all, I guess you have to rewind to last year. Um, they were knocked out of the Euros uh, 2022 when it was played here in England um, in the quarterfinals by eventual winners England. And the Spanish camp, the players in particular, weren't really happy with that. So then you fast forward to, to the autumn time and an email that 15 key senior players had sent to the Spanish Football Association was leaked. And in this email, um, it suggested some, some really stern things. So I've, I've got a couple of quotes here. So essentially they said that the management was adversely impacting their health and emotional state. So they were suggesting that um, Jorge Vilga, who is the, the head coach, was impacting them in this negative way. Um, the Spanish Football Association had a really hard response and said that they weren't going to, to allow players to essentially select who could be the head coach there. So there, there was this showdown. And um, until recently, it wasn't clear how many of the players who had withdrawn from national duty would be included in Jorge Villa's final selection for the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. Now, Five of those players, um, and Alexia Putellas aside, she wasn't actually involved in the Euros, but she did tweet this letter saying that they weren't happy with things, are going to be going. Uh, Irena Paredes, who also said she, she didn't send the letter, but she was supporting her teammates as part of um, the, the Spain squad. And you've got three players who did actually sign that letter who will be on the, the plane to Australia and New Zealand. So Ona, Mariona and Aitana, they will be there although they um, very publicly expressed that they weren't happy with the way Jorge Vilda um, was basically managing things there. So you, you just wonder how that's going to set them up. Of course, they're an incredible team and 
their final um, game in Spain to say goodbye to the Spanish fans before going to Australia and New Zealand, saw them beat Panama 7-0. So um, they're looking pretty strong. They are a strong team, and you've got to say definitely favourites to go through to the knockout stages. Not to, you know, put a, put a damper on Panama. I know you'll be covering them, but beating them 7-0 is not a massive win for Spain or, or something to kind of hang their hat on there. When you talk about what happened within the Spanish Federation and them deciding not to listen to the players, for them to basically come out and talk about that and sign that letter is very risque, uh, risky. And then to not listen to them and to basically say, we will replace you, we don't care, which is exactly the message they sent. How do you respond or how do you feel as a player on this team that they don't really have a say-so at all? Yeah, it's a big question, Jenny. I guess we'll see how things unfold because these big tournaments are all about pressure. So when Spain do have their back against the wall, when they do face tougher opponents, I guess we'll see how they handle that. I mentioned this all kind of started off the back of them exiting the Euros last year at the quarterfinal stages. Mm -hmm. So they weren't happy with how things were leading up to that. So if there was a surprise exit from Spain, maybe then we'd see a lot more things boiling to, to the top. But you, you look at the players who are going, who did sign that letter, like uh, Aitana or um, Mariona, and um, um, these are winners. And uh, Alexia Putellas and Irana to one side because they said they were just supporting their teammates. We're talking about season winners here. So maybe they're putting their professional cap on and they're saying, I want another trophy to my belt. I'm not sure. We, we'll see how things unfold with them. It seems like a big tournament for Alexia Putellas as well. And I noticed she dyed her hair pink. You know, she looks, she had a big injury. She's coming in. I, I've said this before, and I asked Nigel, you know, if you show up to a, a you know, a kickabout with some pink boots, you better be good. She's showing up to the World Cup with pink hair. Do you think this is a sign that she's ready to sort of take the reign? You know what? When you think about players changing their hair, <laughs> I think of R9. Um, so, Ronaldo Nazario and that haircut of his, right? Apparently, <laughs> he did it to distract people. So I don't know, maybe it's a tactic because she's got you talking about it, Alexis. So maybe it's <laughs> so you're focusing on the hair while she warms up and gets ready to basically wow us with all her skills. Of course, she's a Ballon d'Or winner. A lot of pressure, a lot of eyes are going to be on her. But um, more eyes will be on Sam Kerr because it is uh, her nation who's hosting the World Cup. So Alexia Puteas is going to have to bring something to the table so they talk about her as well. I gotta dye my hair pink there to you distract. Go. That's from I'm just gonna, like I'm gonna cut in the arm yeah. and sit next to the desk like, hey, uh, Anita, let's let's talk about um, some World Cup debutantes in in Zambia, the Copper Queens, which by the way is like the coolest nickname um, ever of this entire tournament, yeah. I would say. Um, this is their first World Cup. We said, you know, experience does matter in a World Cup, but is there I, Barbara Banda comes to mind? I know that she's a, a good player for them. What what are you expecting? From, from a Zambia team making their World Cup debut. So it's interesting you mentioned Barbara Banda. She actually wasn't a part of the team that qualified for the World Cup. Um, there was some controversy there. Um, essentially, her testosterone levels were deemed too high by one of the governing bodies. Um, so, yeah, there was this whole, this whole drama, again, that ensued there. But the Zambia team that did play were able to secure their place via winning the third place spot in the women's AFCON tournament. So um, I think what was even more incredible is that they did it on penalties against Senegal. So 
One person I think people should be looking out for is their goalkeeper, Hazel. She obviously can handle the pressure, helping her side not only win the game on penalties so that they finish third place in the Women's AFCON tournament, but with more pressure on her shoulders because they knew it was a direct ticket to Australia and New Zealand this summer. Wow, that's going to be uh, yeah, she very great interesting. against Senegal. Interesting to watch, um, Anita. We're gonna we're gonna let you go. And you're, when are you off to to Australia? In exactly a week. <gasps> so wow. on Wednesday. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so exciting. <laughs> we um we know that we've been talking about Group C, but give us give us a quick scouting report on Panama because I know that's the team that you're going to be covering. So Panama is really interesting. They're also a debutante team, and what was even more interesting about they, the way they qualified is they got the actual final spot from the playoffs. So, um, so much pressure there. It's their first time in a World Cup. I know they're super, super excited and they're exci an exciting team. There are some players there like um, Erika Hernandez who comes to, to mind, who's wrapped on live TV. She might do a little rap, I don't know, when we get to, to Australia. It'll be interesting to see. Um, so I think it's just exciting to see players who don't normally get airtime have a chance to show their skills. That's what I love about World Cups is that we're all of a sudden seeing players who um, we may not know much about because some of these players do actually play in Europe, but a lot of them also play in South America too. So it'll be interesting to see the skills they've got and how they match up against the likes of Brazil or France or Jamaica. Ooh, it's going to yeah. be a really a tough, group. tough one for them. Tough group. Yeah. Oh, Anita, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Safe travels. We uh, we look forward to your, you. your coverage. Thank you so much. We got to get Anita. You guys I'm in Australia. We got to get you back on TV so we can see you try Vegemite from Australia. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so I actually like Marmite. So oh, so it's just, yeah. She's oh, so you're fine. Unfazed. Wow. Unfazed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Anita. Thanks, guys. Take care. Uh, all right, let's, uh, should we continue our discussion on, on Group C? Let's start with uh, Jenny Japan. Okay. Because this is a, a team that has, historically, they've done, they've been really strong, but they, they're kind of a younger-looking team these days than we've been used to seeing. Who, who are you watching? What are you watching for? So for Japan, I think most recently we saw them in She Believes Cup, where they lost against uh, the United States 1-0 and Brazil 1-0. They played a very attacking style of football, but they end up beating Canada 3-0, which they get, like, second place in the tournament, which just doesn't really mean that much. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the biggest thing that, that, the biggest player that I, I would watch out for is Yui Hasegawa of Manchester City. She's played for AC Milan. She has played for West Ham United. And she's played in two U17 World Cups mm -hmm. and then a U20 World Cup. And now she played in a full-team World Cup. So she started with the national team for Japan at 16 years old. Uh, she's now 26. So she's had a decade of experience and playing in these big games, playing in different countries. So I think she's going to be someone that's so important for them. She's like a deep-lying playmaker. She also plays uh, more of an attacking midfield position in creating. I would keep my eye out on her. Japan is very interesting because they're very technical in the way they play. So when I played for um, Mexico, we lost to them by a lot. Don't look up the score. Um, but the way that they pass is I'm so quick and they're, they're very orderly in, in like the way that they handle themselves. Everyone knows their role and they, they respect the roles very mm -hmm. well. Um, but with a player like this, her passing range, her dribbling ability, she's 5'2", so she's like has great center of gravity in that midfield. and. 
if you try to take the ball off her, it's very difficult. When you when you talk about players that have a low center of gravity, like Messi, you can't really take the ball off them because they can like kind of swerve away from it, and it's hard to kind of put a body to them. So for me, she's she's the biggest player to watch there. Okay. They're also the closest to home in this whole group. They're oh in God, Australia, New Zealand. That's true. It's Everyone wild. else is traveling 24 hours to get there. They're close to home. <laughs> That's a, that's a really good point. I didn't think of that. Well, thank Look you. At you. For me, all right, I'm done I for the think, segment. Thank, thank you. you. I think Japan could easily take the group. I'm not going to lie. I really? think that with the Las Quince controversy, we will see any cracks that Spain have exposed. But also, Japan have some, for me at least, two Roma players coming off the of Serie A Femenil mm -hmm. that uh, they got their first silverware. They won Serie A this season, they also won the Supercoppa Italiana. They're formidable, and one is the center back. So I, I'm rooting for Japan in this group. I'm not going to lie. All I right. feel like they're the stronger side. They already have a World Cup under their belt, and then they obviously in 2015 finished as, you know, the U.S. beat them, sadly. But, you know, I was there for that game, so it was exciting nevertheless. No, Christine has a great point in the, in the fact that, you know, I know Anita was talking about the Spain problems. Mm -hmm. And um, if we go, like, deeper into when it all happened, I think it was very obvious that there was a breakdown with, within the coaching and how the players felt yeah. about him. And for that not to be respected or really heard, basically the Spanish Federation's answer was, like, we don't care what you have to say. Um, we're going to do as we please, and, and you guys don't have a say-so. I find that... In a World Cup, that's your place to make a statement or to be heard. And if, you know, I know that only three of those players came back, but if there is a crack, which obviously there was with that statement coming out, it will be shown there. Mm. I think I, I have a lot of doubts as to how together that squad is presently. Great players. I just, for sure, I just don't know. It's just a really divisive issue, and I think that the way that it was pre presented is also very ambiguous because there wasn't any specifics. And also, when the three captains had come forward to present the letter, there was this, don't shoot the messenger. You know, we don't necessarily want you gone, yeah. but we need changes and then no specificity to what those changes were. You mm -hmm. know, it's just that we're upset. Some just thought, hey, after the Euro cycle, there should be a new manager, which I would agree with, right? I, I don't think that that's an unreasonable request. And I also agree with you. At some point, if you're going to go as far as say, well, I'm not joining the team, or I'm going to write this letter, or I'm going to, uh, you know, make a formal complaint to the Federation, bro, tell us what happened. If you're going to, if you're going to risk not playing in a World Cup, spill the beans. Tell yeah. us it what happened. It was very much emotional and physical. We don't want to risk injury, but no yeah. additional support to explain how exactly this was directly rooted to the coaching staff because it wasn't just right. their head coach; it was the extended staff. Yeah, which is a broader problem and obviously a, de a deal to uh, for the Federation to attempt to sort of meander through. But right. again, too much ambiguity for me. Yeah, I just think that if if you're risking a World Cup and, and like your space on a national team, um, it has to be severe. And whether we know those details or not, it is kind of different. But the players that do come back, like the lifespan of a footballer period is, is so short. And then we're dealing with all yeah. of these ACL problems. With Especially all of these, international. In, in the women's game and all mm -hmm. of these, like the amount of World Cups that you get to play or, you know, even us get to report on, the amount are so small. Yeah. Um, that you're really not going to miss it over this, like, one coach situation if things are not, like, personally Yeah, no, absolutely, problem. absolutely. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times the, when there's drama behind the scenes, that can often... Be showcased on the, France showed, on the pitch. If yeah, you, for sure. You can do it. You can for make sure. change. Yeah. The, the French know how to protest. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> it's true. Topical. It's true. It's good point. <laughs> um, all right, we are going to take a break, but we've got plenty more to come on Morning Footy when we come back. Stick around. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present 
a mountain of zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome back. Here's a look at Wednesday's footy fix for you. We have those U21 Euro semifinals coming up. Israel taking on England and Spain, Ukraine. And in MLS action, we have NYCFC hosting Charlotte FC at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Apple TV. Let's chat about uh, this MLS game to look forward to. Alexis, I know that you are a big NYCFC fan. Mm -hmm. Their win against Montreal snapped an 11-game winless streak, but it's weird because they had like six draws or something, yeah. so it wasn't like they were not collecting points, but uh, they were finally able to just get that win, which feels like a huge monkey off their back. Yeah, especially since it was a win on the road, yeah. and they haven't won on the road yet this season. It's been a tough one for NYCFC, but they've been finding ways to get some results, and that's one of the big things for me is the way they won this game, you're seeing the highlight here, Mateus Pellegrini. I mean, Pellegrini starting to sort of develop closer into the player you expected him to be when he was with Miami. If he can continue that, especially with no Santi Rodriguez mm -hmm. in this game, which is a huge loss for NYCFC, they've got nobody up front. If Pellegrini can provide that, I think Charlotte's in for a little bit of a rough one. And this could propel us into the playoff picture. I was going to say, currently sitting below, both teams are sitting below the mm -hmm. playoff line at this point. Uh, Nigel, what do you make of this NYCFC team this uh, season? Are they a playoff team for you? In, they should make the playoffs. They, they really should. I'll just ask uh, the NYC fan uh, if uh, his cushion is no longer there for the pushing. Uh, <laughs> that's a great bit. <laughs> uh, I will say that the, the seat is getting really hot for him. That's <laughs> well, what I'll so, say. Yeah. This is interesting, though. So, so Charlotte um, are winless in their last five, but they have beaten NYCFC every single time they've played yep. them. So they're the one team that has been able to beat them every time. So that it could be, it's like a bogey team Let's for them. Let's hope that does ends that, now. Charlotte, does that make Charlotte's, you a little nervous? Charlotte's a good team. They, they, they're still finding their feet. You know, yeah. I, I know one of the coaches there, Pa Budica, mm -hmm. he is a top young coach, and I hope he gets an opportunity to manage in the MLS because he's very he's talented. He's had quite a journey, too, because he's kind of, yeah. he was up in Canada, and now he's made he his way back to... What, six languages or so? A bunch of languages. Six or seven languages, yeah. and he, he has that people personality to really do big things. He has I six agree. different ways to say we took an L to NYCFC. Yeah, don't sleep on this, uh, don't sleep on this Charlotte team. Um, all right, guys, Nigel, Christine, thanks for being here today. And thank you guys for watching. Let's do it again manana. We'll see you then. Have a great day. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.